the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for Rescuers, the show about people who change and save lives. Now, here's your host, Art Brooks. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Rescuers Radio Show. And we've been on the air since uh, May and everything COVID. And uh, it's just been a a wonderful building on uh, what's going on in the communities and uh, where are the people and who are the people that are changing and saving lives on a daily basis. I'm very happy to have as my guest right now uh, Maria Fuentes, who is the director of the Governor's Office of Youth, Faith, and Family. Hi. Good to be here. <laughs> good to see you again. So good to have, yeah. I, we've we've met, I think, right after you came to right. uh, the governor's office. Three years and, ago. Yeah. So uh, lots happened since then. And... This decade that we're in seems like a decade. We talked about that a minute ago. It really does. Uh, more than a year. It sounds like, oh, geez, how long have we been in this and how long is it going to last? Uh, Marie, I, I'd like to start off the show with uh, allowing our audience to get to know who you are. So um, how did you get to this point? Oh, my goodness. It's been such a journey. Uh, I don't think I would have ever been able to plan this out the way, uh, you know. Good. Uh, God plans we follow. Uh, I um, So I was born in Guaynabo, Puerto Rico. So I am a native of Puerto Rico. I grew up there, went to high school there, and then came to do college in the mainland. Ended up, uh, I went to Southern Methodist University in Dallas. I transferred to American University in Washington, D.C., um, and got a real passion for politics, for policy. I was in Texas when we had Governor George W. Bush. Uh-huh. And then when I graduated from college, he had just been President elect uh, <laughs> Bush. And I started my career as a political appointee at the U.S. Department of Labor, working for President Bush back then. I knew you were in D.C. for a while, but I wasn't sure what. I was in D.C. for 17 years. Wow. So that is a very, very long time. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Talk about dog years in Washington, D.C. Um, but I, I had the privilege of serving the president at the U.S. Department of Labor. I worked with a lot of state governments, with Congress. I went to the White House, uh, where they tasked me with supporting governors in creating their own faith-based offices um, to have those partnerships at a state level um, across the country, uh, which is funny to circle back so many years <laughs> later and being where I am Here now. You are. Yep. I spent time at the U.S. Department of Justice, uh, a lot of children and family-focused programs uh, we developed in that team under Attorney General Gonzalez. And then I spent 10 years working for an amazing Seattle-based foundation that focuses on child welfare, child well-being, and foster care. 
And in that foundation, I got to work with a number of different states. And the state where I spent the most time was in Arizona. Oh, okay. And I got to work with a lot of incredible legislators here. I got to work with Governor Brewer's administration. Yep. Then with um, now former director Greg McKay of the Department of Child Safety, then with Michael Faust and Governor Ducey and his team. And when this position uh, came to be, they they asked me if I wanted to serve. So I packed up my kids and my belongings, <laughs> and um, I wasn't about to say no to Governor Ducey. He's an incredible leader and he a is. champion for kids and for families, and so it's a, a real honor uh, to be able to serve in his administration. So that's how I got here. My goodness. And and uh, as director of the Governor's Office of Youth, Faith, and Family, uh, it's it's just not one or two uh, things that you do. You have a laundry list of uh, nonprofits and thing you know that you deal with every day around the state of Arizona. Correct. Uh, the Governor's Office of Youth, Faith, and Family uh, was formerly known as the Governor's Office of Children, Youth, and Families. Governor Ducey made the change to include the faith-based component, which going back to <laughs> long, long time ago, I could not support him more. Um, our faith partners, our, our faith-based nonprofits, our churches are such key players in our communities, such key players of supporting communities, providing services. And the governor saw that. And with his leadership, um, he changed the name to make sure that that was a part of it. But that is only a part of it. Um, we also have continued to grow in the last three <laughs> years. We oversee uh, programs and governor-appointed commissions related to substance abuse prevention, human trafficking, juvenile justice delinquency prevention, child well-being, <laughs> service and volunteerism, aging, uh, where the state's AmeriCorps program. I have your whole list here. <laughs> it's a long list. <laughs> and we're the governor's faith-based office. So, I mean, they're all critical topics, and we do a lot of prevention-focused work. And when you think about what we as individuals, as communities, as community leaders need to do to prevent any one of those, I forgot sexual and domestic violence, um, any one of these horrible outcomes that really um, negatively impact our families and communities, that prevention piece, there's a lot of commonality. And so we try to make sure we're working together and collaboratively across all these topics. <laughs> well, you, it's never a dull moment in your in your office. And isn't I know and that it's for a sure. privilege. Yeah. It isn't and I I love it. Yeah. Well, um I I'm glad you you know COVID has um it's done a lot of change mm -hmm. to to all of us, duh, you know, we all know that. But um not long ago on this program, I had the CEO of one of our larger um recovery treatment centers here in the valley and uh one of the one of the largest in the country and he, he made an interesting comment we can't afford to continue to build buildings and beds uh we need to get to the front end and do prevention mm -hmm. better than we're doing it mm -hmm. rather than uh you know we can do treatment recovery mm -hmm. and and as large as this entity is they still have a hundred people at their doorstep every day mm -hmm. wanting help and so it there has to be more about the prevention and where do you see that that part of it going well i mean i think especially in thinking of my time in the child welfare space where i focus solely on that there's certainly a continuum of types of services and approaches that we need to have and people need treatment and people need uh, places to go but 
to be able to focus so much of my time and my work and the investments that we make on prevention is truly a privilege. Um, prevention is very more cost effective, and there's a huge cost benefit analysis to being able to invest in doing prevention work. And I'm talking really little, little ones, elementary school. How do you prevent substance abuse or substance misuse through the lens of teaching your very, very little ones to build their resilience, to cope when they have adverse experiences or traumatic experiences? How do you build them up strong? That is how we look at your primary, primary prevention. How do you support a family to deal with stress, to deal with adversity? What are those tools? What is that village that comes around them so that you're preventing all of these negative outcomes that we know can get worse when you have incredible stressors like COVID, job loss, financial strains? Um, So being able to invest in prevention is truly a privilege because Not everybody gets the time and space to do that. There is so much work to do in terms of treatment and response to people that really need that support. And so I take that that responsibility very seriously. So within your department, uh, Governor's Office of Youth, Faith and Family, how do you attack that issue? How how do you um, it's it's too large for you to handle every component of that? So you must bring together a team, you must bring together nonprofits, organizations. How do you do that? One of the greatest powers of the governor's office and in turn the governor's office of youth, faith and family is that power to convene. It's that power to bring people together, to bring experts together. Arizona has a wealth of incredible partners that do incredible work, that are ready to invest, that are working in their communities. And what I know from working throughout my career with those types of incredible community leaders is you're in the weeds, you're in there, you're dealing with your immediate needs. And to give the space and offer the time for people to step back and come together and how do you leverage the work that is going on? How do you incentivize that collaboration. So when we write uh, or when we request grant applications, when we're getting ready to put out grants, we write in there, you know, the bigger your coalition, the more people you have working together in a community, that's going to, that'll boost an application. If we see that you have a substance abuse coalition, who is working with a school, who is working with treatment providers and others. So if you're Working with people who are working with people, then you're just investing in networks that can wrap around people and communities in a more effective way. Well, and and in talking to uh, the Rescuers Show has been home. We've done programs with law enforcement uh, across the valley and across Arizona. Actually, we've had um, uh, tonight uh, the, the most recent show is from the Anti-Meth Coalition, which is a pretty large coalition Mm -hmm. in Arizona. And this was the one based up in uh, Mojave County. Um, So to stay in front of those issues, there's two spikes that are just uh, we can't ignore Mm -hmm. during COVID. Mm -hmm. One is domestic violence, Mm -hmm. and the other is addiction rates. Mm -hmm. So um, when you're when you have children, when you're dealing with organizations that deal with the children that are caught in in those environments, those aren't easy topics to address. Correct. So you have to find ways and you're getting the right people in Mm -hmm. the room is what I hear you saying. Mm -hmm. That's Uh, right. And those are the those are two of the topics, two of the the things that ail families that drive um, 
a, a response from your child safety uh, agency that drive kids coming into foster care. And so being able to work with families, meeting them where they are, um, I think that's why having kids in school is so important, not just to kids, but to the families. Um, we, our teachers are frontline uh, in terms of being able to identify when a kid may be in need, which may mean the family may be in need. Our director, Michael Faust of the Department of Child Safety, has done a tremendous job building what we call our in-home services. So when a child is not in immediate danger, there are a lot of ways that we work with local partners and partners across Arizona to help support the families to stay safely together. We know children do better in families. We know children do better with their own families if they can stay safe. So whether it's substance abuse treatment or counseling related to domestic violence challenges, if the safety measures are met, um, being able to keep those kids home. And there's, there's a lot of different stakeholders and partners and entity that play a big role in, in supporting families. So, you don't have all the money in the world. No, uh, no, the, not yet. You know, the but. governor doesn't say, here, do, here, here, just go do it. Uh, he does say that to you, I they think. Do, he does say, go do it. <laughs> that he does say. I can imagine. <laughs> I can just imagine. So, uh, but you have you have so many entities. We were just talking before the program. There's thousands of nonprofits in Arizona, and um, and they all need grant money of some kind to some value you must have a terrific job trying to wade through all of the grants that you receive, all the requests mm-hmm. for the money that you have. Correct. And it, and it is not a lot of money in the grand scheme of things. But yeah. um, every little bit helps. And the partners that I work with, they are so good at what they do. They don't need a ton of money to have a ton of impact. Yeah. And so when you're working collaborative with others and you're leveraging what everybody else is doing, you don't need a ton of money. You need a ton of relationships. You need a ton of drive. That's what has a ton of impact. So for us, um, and we'll do our work a variety of different ways, but one is through competitive grant application processes. And we just awarded $3.5 million in to 22 different agencies, uh, community organizations, mostly a couple of schools, um, to do primary prevention. So primary is, you know, before addiction strikes, before you need substance abuse treatment. So we're investing in coalitions, in community leaders that are building coalitions to drive that prevention piece. But we have, and we have seen an increased response to our request for grant applications. There's a lot of need. We've also noticed that there is a lot of need in our nonprofit and our faith-based partners um, by way of just knowing how that system works. How does one access a grant? How does one write a successful grant application? And I think for nonprofits that are well-versed in this, um, it's easy. But a lot of folks need investment, and a lot of folks are doing great work. And in the grant world, you know, I often, uh, it's a a known thing to say, and it, it hurts my heart that, you know, People who know how to write grants and write well, good applications, they get grants. And somebody may have an excellent program, but they're not as well-versed in the process. And so we've started to increase our investment in having grant writing workshops and inviting folks to learn from good. experts free of cost 
to learn that process of, of getting grants and how do you write for grants. And there's a number of other organizations across Arizona that do that as well um, because it's almost like learning how to write a paper in school or yeah. learning how to write for this particular outcome. And so in addition to investing in programs, we're investing in building the capacity of nonprofits, of faith-based partners and others to grow their own capacity to serve. Now, our, our audience listeners may say, well, that's fine for the Phoenix, the Valley of the Sun, but you're a statewide agency. Correct. And, and, and you've, you've got to handle the big picture mm-hmm. in all the, the towns, regardless of size, mm-hmm. cities. You, you've got it all in your basket. That's right. And if uh, we can think back to what it feels like a decade ago in the governor's state of the state address earlier this year, he focused on rural Arizona. Wasn't that two years ago? Uh, it, it, maybe two, <laughs> maybe know. three, but it, it, was, it was January 2020. <laughs> and uh, he, he really focused on rural Arizona, and he said we were going to increase our investments in something that we do at the governor's office of Youth, Faith, and Family when we run these requests for grant applications, depending on the grant and most of our grants grants, we get our money from the federal government. And so they'll have some restrictions and some guidance in what we're supposed to do. But where we can carve out, as we say, or take a percentage and say, this will only go to rural Arizona, Mm -hmm. or this will only go to tribal Indian country in Arizona. We do that. So we will do our best to level that playing field and to make sure that when we are making grant awards, it's not just Phoenicians, that we are making sure we're leveling that playing field so that rural applicants are kind of competing against other rural applicants um, or, you know, Indian countries compete because the needs are different. The approaches are different. What they're able to build by way of coalitions looks different. And so we we go to um, through a whole process to make sure that we're as fair as we can be and as open and statewide as can be. So you have a sizable staff here at the governor's uh, down at the Capitol. So do you also have staff uh, staged around the state as well? I have an excellent team. I have, (laughs) I have, I mean, they, they are in it for heart and for passion and for service. Um, They're always coming up with new ideas and new ways to leverage. And, and they're just extraordinary. They're an extraordinary group of human beings. They are, however, all in Phoenix, so we are all based in Arizona um, in terms of our office space. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to say maybe we're a little bit more expanded now because we've been teleworking <laughs> and so people live in all kind of different places. Um, but, for example, with our Title II money, which is the Juvenile Justice Delinquency Prevention Act money, um, uh, Steve, who oversees all of that work, he travels all over the state uh, when he was able to physically go do compliance and other types of site visits. Um, all of our teammates who oversee other grant programs, there are site visit components that are built into into those grants. So they're all over the state visiting with subgrantees and with grantees um, when global pandemics allow, they are out there um, visiting people on a very regular basis, getting to know the state, getting to know the needs. And I'll say, if we want to be glass half full and silver lining people, one of the benefits that have come since March is we've gone full virtual. And we do everything and anything that we can in a virtual platform. And one of the benefits of that has been our ability to reach out to more and more places throughout the state. Because You can jump on a Zoom. You can see and you can be in more places, even if not physically. I'm able to connect with more people on a statewide basis in a short amount of time. Isn't that great? 
it, it, I'm going to look at it. Great. <laughs> I, mean, I really missed I mean, traveling up to Mojave well, <laughs> and down to La Plata. Like I really missed. I, I had a goal. I wanted to see all the counties. I just moved to Arizona three years ago. Yep. So getting out and visiting and seeing has been a, a top priority, and I'll do that as soon as I am able. And distance. Mm-hmm. As soon as distance. I'm able to get back out there with safely, I, yeah. I will get back on the road. Yeah. So um, hundreds of miles between towns mm-hmm. in a lot of cases. So I'm uh, from Puerto Rico. It's 130 right miles <laughs> by 32 miles total, you guys. Like, you drive three hours, you get, you're in the ocean. So <laughs> this is a new experience. Well, and I, I grew up in the Midwest, and you could be in four states in the, uh, just driving through Arizona. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a whole new life. But I've, I've been here since 1981, so I've been here a while, mm-hmm. and and uh, I just I, I can't imagine being anywhere else, quite frankly. But we have some wonderful uh, people in this state that their hearts and minds and um, and their reverence to God and, and, and the way they approach— uh, the protection of everything that we've been talking about is amazing to mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. And that's the purpose of this radio show, as mm-hmm. a matter of fact, to find those people and to to talk to them. And they don't have to be CEOs of, of nonprofits, even though we've had a lot of those in, on this program. But it, 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 we, we want the ones that are ground zero. We want mm-hmm. the ones that are every day trying to fix these issues and problems and deal with them. Mm-hmm. And and you help them a lot, right? I would think. Well, if I can really, from my perspective, they help us. So we have a lot of partners in the faith community. And I will say another, let's say, tremendous benefit to me through COVID is I have gotten to know more and more incredible church leaders and faith partners. Um, in the beginning, of course, it was... I was a source of information. I can still be a source of information, and I can convene, and we can share information and bring people together. But the work that our faith partners, our church leaders, our church goers, the work that everyone in that space does helps us. Mm -hmm. It helps keep kids out of foster care. It helps families stay better together. It helps, you know, recruit foster parents, recruit adoptive parents we are we are a government mm-hmm. we are not good <laughs> at the people in the you know you don't want us necessarily in your house if there's an emergency if there's a safety issue we're here to protect right. we're here to respond we're here to support but when i look at my kids in foster care all the you know thousands across the the state or the kids at risk of entering foster care with our church partners with partners like arizona 127 we're able to come alongside churches they are to help churches support families, yeah. to help churches recruit foster and adoptive parents. And that is a need that is never going to go away. Because right. as more kids go home or, or find an adoptive home, you still need more. Yeah. And so that's something our faith partners do better than than anyone. They come alongside the licensing agencies, the churches, and help bring that all together to create families. The Care Portal. The Care Portal is an independent, it's an amazing, independent yeah. network of churches, yes. um, and they'll hear from DCS or they'll hear from somewhere else. This family needs a crib, or this family needs whatever a service, a stove. A good a stove, yeah. something that'll help that family stay safely together. And that's a that's a zip code. 
uh, guided system, right? They, it's a, it's. I want to say it's a network guided. So there's a certain mileage around any kind yeah. of space. But I know people that go to churches and they will drive more than their mileage yeah. to deliver a crib because they know they're doing something to keep a family safely together. They have kept thousands, over five thousand. I haven't looked at the data lately, but you know, in terms of the investment, the in kind investment of independent churchgoers surpasses two million dollars. Yeah. If you add it all up across Arizona, they've kept 5,000 kids out of foster care by supporting families. Mm-hmm. And being able to recruit foster parents, if anybody out there is listening and you're thinking, how do I support kids in Arizona? Supporting parents that mm-hmm. need the support, be it birth parents, adoptive parents, foster parents, supporting the parents, support volunteering your time, or becoming a foster or adoptive parent yourself – that helps us. We can help you do it, but that's what that's. You all help us. I remember the um, the event when they when they uh, uh, showed everyone about the care mm-hmm. project mm-hmm. And, um, and 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 the enthusiasm for that mm-hmm. program. And I haven't really kept track of it, but I hope I, I can only imagine it's grown oh. exponentially. Right? They have grown it yeah. exponentially. Yeah. So they started down in Pima. I think it started down in yeah. Pima County. It grew like wildfire here in Phoenix. It has exploded in Yuma. They have networks up north. They've truly gone statewide. And Care Portal is not unique to Arizona, but I want to say we are we are doing very, very well in Arizona. Maria, I hate to say it, but we're in our last <laughs> minute of the program, which flies by when we're having fun, right? That's right. So I have one question for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, COVID is full of stories. Mm -hmm. What do you think your story will be after COVID? Oh, my goodness. Uh, Strengthening my adaptability, versatility, and flexibility muscles. (laughs) Um, Being able to continue to serve and respond in a very new and unique landscape. Maria, it's been a pleasure having you on the Rescuers Radio Show. Thank Thank you so so much. much. And say hi to the governor for me. I will do. Thank you. Rescuers Radio Show can be heard. uh, It's heard live uh, every Thursday at 530 at KPXQ 1360 and faithtalk1360.com, Spotify, Instagram. You can find all of the programs in the streaming there as well. God bless. Rescuers, Thursdays at 5.30 Arizona time on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ AM.